Well, good morning, church. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say much more about groups right now, but if you haven't done a foundations course before, check it out, do it. And please bear with me, I managed to break my computer last week intentionally, but not actually intentionally. I was trying to replace my battery in my old computer and managed to brick it. It is now useless. So I replaced it, and I now have a black screen for notes. So we'll see what happens here in a moment. Um, supposedly the Wi-Fi kicked out. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Anyways, so, oh, there we go. Never mind. Um, <laughs> You know, tech is one of the banes of church ministry. We love it, but it's also the biggest pain. And something always goes wrong at the moment you don't want it to go wrong. Um, but praise God that we're not relying on tech for salvation, because if we were, we'd be screwed. Um, <coughs> none of that was in my notes. So, uh, <laughs> well, good morning, church, and welcome to week two of our, our brand new fall series that we're calling Unleashed. And if you missed last week, if you missed Harvest Fest, well, I'm, I'm sorry, you missed out on a great Sunday. It was a lot of fun. We, we, God did some incredible things in our midst, and, and then afterwards we got to buy things and eat food and, and just fellowship together. It was really, really good. But if you missed last week, I really want to encourage you check out that message. It's not me trying to say, oh, it was a great message, I did a good job, but it's, it's because all of the parts of this series really build into a whole of what we believe God wants to do in your life. And last week, we started by talking about the first of four promises that God has given us that we need to learn to believe and accept in our hearts if we are going to live unleashed. And so if you missed that message, check it out. It, it was great. It was great. But, but this series really was born out of a word that God gave us back in March. That there are people in our church who, who are leashed, who are stuck, who are in a place they don't want to be, dealing with things they shouldn't have to deal with, and, and who have so much potential, so much calling, so much gifting that God has put in your life, but you are unable to access it because of the pain, the hurt, the lies, the fears, the things in your life that are holding you back from what God has for you. And and I believe firmly that, that through this series, God wants to start to address those things. He start, wants to start to deal with the pain in your past. He wants to start to deal with the lies that you've believed about yourself and the fears that are holding you back so that you can truly live unleashed in the purposes and, and practices that God has for your life. And so throughout this series, we're, we're going to be going through and exploring this idea of, of freedom. And really, this series is based loosely on soul care. So that's part of the reason we're running soul care this year is if you want to dive in deeper and dig in deeper and, and find that freedom, check out soul care. It'll be really, really good. But this series is kind of the first taste of living in freedom, of dealing with the things that are hidden beneath the surface in our lives, the things that we either know of and try to hide or we don't even recognize that are holding us back. And, and last week we started by examining the first of four promises that 
we believe you need to know and understand in order to live in freedom, and that's the promise of you are loved. And really that promise is the basis of this entire series. Because it starts, the most important thing for us to know is we are loved. There is nothing you can do that will ever separate you from God's love. You are loved first and foremost. But this week we want to start to dig into the second of the four promises that we believe are crucial if you want to live in freedom and want to be unleashed. And that is the promise that you are not alone. You are not alone, which is to say that there is nowhere you could go. There's nowhere you could hide. There is nothing you could do that would ever separate you from God. It doesn't matter if you feel distant. It doesn't matter if you've messed up and, and feel that shame and feel like you need to hide. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life. You are not alone. And see, Psalms 139.7 puts it this way. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Sheol was the underworld kind of idea in the ancient Hebrew thought. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, the, for the darkness is as light to you. Which is to say, there is nowhere I can go. There is nowhere I can hide where God will not be. If I go into outer space, he's there. If I descend deep into the earth, he is still there. There is nothing that I can do. If I go into the deepest darkness, he can still see. If I go into the brightest light, he can still be there with me. There is nothing I can do that can separate me from God that will distance me from my Father. No matter what I do or where I go, your presence is always with me. I am not alone. But you know, I think this promise is one that is easy for us to know of and believe in our heads, but hard for us to truly acknowledge and believe in our hearts. Because, you know, the reality is that there will be moments in your life where things go badly. Sorry, I know, really bummer, but things will go wrong in your life. And there will be moments where you feel distant from God. This happened to me, why didn't God stop it? You feel alone. And there will be moments where, where you mess up. And you go back to something that you know you shouldn't have gone back to time and time again. And you're coming back to God asking for forgiveness. And you're like, God, it's, it, it, this is the 20th time I know. It can make you feel like God's angry and, and, and distant. There will be moments in your life that make you feel like people have abandoned you, like God has abandoned you. When people leave 
and you feel ashamed and broken and hurt. And in those moments, it can be easy to feel alone. See, this message is for anyone who has ever felt alone. Anyone who has ever gone through a season, maybe you're going through it now. But if you've ever gone through a season where you felt alone, this message is for you. And, and, and God sent me to tell you this morning, you are not alone. You are not alone. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter what others did to you. Doesn't matter what you're going through or how distant you feel from me. You are not alone. First Kings 19, we find this story. Can go back to the last slide. We're, we're going to get there in like five minutes. Um, First Kings 19, we find the story of Elijah in one of the deepest darkest moments of his life. And ironically, this moment in his life comes right on the heels of some of the greatest miracles and breakthrough that God has done through Elijah and in Elijah's life. See, the, this moment in, in 1 Kings 19, it comes after this period about three years, four years before when Elijah, as a prophet of God, had, had seen the sin of Israel, and through God, he had said, because of your sin, it will not rain on, this, on Israel. And James 5 tells us that because of Elijah's word, for three years and six months, it did not rain. Like, pretty incredible. Just be like, no more rain, no rain. And then the story goes, Elijah went to this, this um, area where there's a bit of water. God led him there. And then God provided for him by bringing him food through ravens. And then eventually the, this brook dries up and God's like, go to this widow in this town. And Elijah goes there and, and he goes to her and he's like, hey, can you make me food? And she's like, Th that's great. I have, no, I have a quarter cup of flour and a quarter cup of oil. I was about to make bread for me and my son so that we could eat it and die. And Elijah's like, okay, that's pretty morbid, but okay. Um, how about this? Go and get a bunch of jars, and then I want you to pour your flour and your oil into the jars. And she's like, that's, that's stupid, Elijah. Just, just do it, and she does it. And all the jars are filled to overflowing. So that she has enough food for herself, for her family, and to feed Elijah. And then next, what we see happening is, is Elijah goes and he challenges some of the prophets and priests of the false god that Israel has been serving, Baal. And he challenges them to this duel. And essentially how it worked was, they're going to build an altar to their god, and I'm going to build an altar to my god. And the god that responds will be proven as the true, real, one god, and then everyone will worship that God. And so these 300 prophets and priests of Baal, they build this altar and they sacrifice an animal on it and they cry out and dance and jump around and try to get their God's attention. They're cutting themselves and doing all kinds of crazy things and nothing. And then Elijah's like, okay, it's, it's my turn. After he gets a few jabs in, like, is he deaf? 
maybe you're not shouting loud enough. Um, but he, he builds an altar, puts a sacrifice on it, and then he digs a trench around it and tells them, pour water over it. And they pour him water and more water and more water and more water until it's drenched. And then Elijah prays and fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, consumes the wood of the altar, consumes the stones of the altar, consumes all the water, and even burns the dust on the ground. So there's none left. And then Elijah's like, well, see, God's real. Kill all of them. And they kill all the priests. It's a great story. Um, I love how the youth section really enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> youth ministry. Love it. Um, but then the next thing we see happening is Elijah, well, the, the king of Israel had been there, and he'd seen that, and he sends him back, and he's like, the st- a storm's coming, so get back to your palace. And they're like, it's been three years and six months, Elijah. There's no storm coming. He's like, no, no, trust me, trust me, trust me. And then he sends his servant. He's like, go up on that hill for a storm's coming. And the servant goes, makes his way, climbs the hill. There's nothing. Comes back. Go up again. And he does it seven times. And finally, on the seventh time, the servant comes back and he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist on the horizon. And a storm comes. And envelops the nation. And, and for the first time in over three years, it rains in Israel. And, and Elijah, throughout his life, has been faithful to God. And through this, he has seen God do incredible things in his life, through his life, for other people. He's seen incredible miracles. He's caused rain to stop, rain to start, fire to fall down from heaven. He's, he's caused uh, flour and oil to multiply. Like, that's pretty incredible. If I were Elijah, I'd be pretty jazzed up. I'd be like, yes. Like, these are things, these are miracles that most Christians just can't even dream of. But, but in 1 Kings 19, we find Elijah in a completely different state of mind. And the joy of everything God has done in him and through him has faded and, and fear has set in. It says, 1 Kings 19, verse 1, Ahab, who was king of Israel, told his wife Jezebel, the queen, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. I'll be honest, this past week, I, um, I prepped this message two weeks ago, and then last Sunday, I was listening to a podcast from another church, and the pastor preached on this message. I was like, ah, oh, come on. But he made a point in it. He's like, well, why didn't she just do it? Like, if you're a cop, you don't send a message to the criminal, hey, tomorrow, I'm arresting you. Like, maybe she didn't have as much power, but she's like, I'll kill you. I heard what you did. I'm going to kill you. And it says, then Elijah was afraid. So he got up and fled for his life, came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah. He left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. And he asked that he might die. You know, Elijah, throughout his life, he has trusted God 
and God has done incredible things through him. He has seen God do amazing, amazing things and miracles and, 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 and just amazing works through him. But at the threat of death from Jezebel, he runs, fleeing into the wilderness and begs for death. And, and after God sends him food with an angel, which is basically a, hey, Elijah, I'm not going to let you die here. I'm just going to keep giving you everything you need. Elijah then runs 400 kilometers away to Mount Horeb, the mountain where God had met Moses and given him the Ten Commandments. And, and he runs there and comes to a cave where he spends the night. And it says, verse 9, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. God's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I, I've got nowhere else to go. All my friends are dead. All my coworkers are dead. Everyone hates me. Everyone has rejected God, and, and thus they've rejected me. There's no one left to support me. There's no one left to care about me. I am alone. I am alone. You know, the pain he's experiencing in this moment is, is not as simple as somebody abandoning him, and so he feels lost. It's not this moment of shame where he did the wrong thing and now is trying to run from God. No, no, no. This is a situation where he's been doing all the right things. But because he is scared, because there's pain there, he has seen what Jezebel has done to other prophets. He is scared. And this fear has caused him to feel abandoned and alone, wishing for death, and, and we don't know exactly what's going on in his head, but, but it's clear that even after all of the miracles God has done in him and through him, he is now in a place where he's feeling overwhelmed, lost, stuck, stressed, afraid, and alone. And in this moment, the weight of everything has settled on Elijah. This moment, the weight of the threat has settled on him. The weight of everything he's been doing has settled on him. He's remembering all the people who had died at the hands of Jezebel, his friends and colleagues. He's remembering all the people who had rejected God and thus rejected him and didn't want anything to do with him. Now he's under the threat of death. He's been told, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. And he's afraid. And he comes to the holy mountain of God, seeking God's presence. And, and, and when God speaks to him, he tells God, I am alone. Now to anyone here who has never experienced the feeling of loneliness, or you know, you've never ever experienced a problem in your life that made you feel abandoned or broken this, or ashamed, this this message really isn't for you and you might not relate to this, but, but to those of us who have gone through hard times, gone through hard situations, 
gone through periods where we felt alone and abandoned and distant from God, this, we can relate to this. To anyone who has had people walk out on them, who have had people who set, claimed they love them, leave them. Anybody who's been told they're not good enough, anyone who's experienced rejection or dealt with the shame of, of addiction and problems, this, we can relate to this. I can, I can relate to this. Because there are seasons in our life where things will go wrong, where we'll mess up, where we'll do the wrong thing, where people will hurt us and we'll feel alone like we have nowhere to go. And we can feel lost, like Elijah. There's no one to help us, no one to turn to. We just want to run, we want to hide because we feel abandoned and broken and, and ignored. We feel alone. You know, I remember a period in my life, this is many years ago now, when I was still in, in uh, high school going into grade 12. In the summer of that year, I had signed up to go on this missions trip to, to a First Nations reserve in northern Ontario. And I'm from Ontario, so it wasn't like a crazy, crazy journey. But, but for the previous two summers, my church, we'd been going and doing these missions trips to a fly-in community called North Spirit Lake. And, and it was really good. It was great. It was amazing doing ministry with these people. And, and then the third year, I felt God put on my heart, like, I want you to go back. I want you to go and minister to these First Nations people. And I was like, okay, that's great. But my church wasn't sending anybody. We didn't have a team going. And and through situations and circumstances, I don't even remember how it happened, uh, somebody put me in contact with, with some people from the district office in Ontario, and they connected with me, and they're like, okay, that's great. Like, we know of this missions trip that, of people that are leaving Thunder Bay to go to a community called Kijik Bay, and you're welcome to partner along with them. And I was like, great, this is perfect. But I remember the moment of going through airport security at Toronto Airport, which is just the most overwhelming place you can go. And I remember going through security, my parents had dropped me off, and now suddenly I was alone. And I remember in that moment, the weight of everything that I was doing fell on me. It's like, I am about to get on a plane by myself for the first time, to fly to a city that I've never been to that is thousands of kilometers away, to meet people I've never met before, to go and into a community I've never been to, to stay with missionaries that I've never met, to do ministry to people I've also never met. And the best part was after a week, the people I'd gone with were going to leave and I was going to get to stay. And the weight of what was going on hit me. Because I was like, I have nobody with me to support me. And all the thoughts and the anxious thoughts and the worries started to crop up. Like, what if I fail? Why am I doing this? Why am I going here? This is a mistake. I have no right to do this. I felt alone. And I remember going into an airport bathroom and just sitting in a stall. And crying for five minutes. Just being like, God, what am I doing here? I'm so alone. 
After five minutes, God came to me. He's like, get up and go. I called you to this. You might feel alone, but you are not alone. Because even here, when you don't know anybody and you're about to do something that seems ridiculous and scary, I am with you. See, the danger when you feel alone is that loneliness can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, a Harvard study from on loneliness during the pandemic came to the conclusion that lonely people suffer from mindsets that make them more vulnerable to loneliness, which is to say when you feel alone, you start to look at how alone you are, and then even the relationships you have, you start to think, oh, well, they don't actually care about me. They're just reaching out because they see I'm lonely. They don't actually care about me. I'm just so alone. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we see this constantly in Scripture. Where Adam and Eve, they, they mess up in the garden. And, and they're like, ah, we're going to go hide. As if they can hide from God. See, Elijah, he, he leaves his servant, which is interesting because he's like, God, I'm so alone. You literally left your servant behind. You are paying him to be with you. <laughs> but he leaves his servant, and he walks 600 kilometers away to a cave on a mountain. Me, I sat in an airport bathroom and cried. You know, maybe in those seasons, you know up here that God is with you, but, but he just feels so distant. Elijah knew that God was with him. Again, he had seen God do incredible things through him. He knew God was with him. But in that moment, he still felt alone. And Elijah, in his fear, he's run about 600 kilometers away from the last place God told him to be. 600 kilometers away from the last miracle God has done, done through him. He leaves behind everything he knows and runs to this mountain. And I find it interesting that he goes to Mount Horeb. The same mountain where God appeared to Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. And it's almost like he's running there in order to try and find God. He's like, I'm so afraid, I'm so alone, I'm going to go to the one place that I know God has appeared multiple times. I'm going to go back to this mountain and maybe he will show up for me. And it's here that God meets him. It says, verse 11, God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he, stepped, he wrapped his face in his mantle and his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, then there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know, it's interesting what's going on here. It's easy for us to miss because we're not involved in that culture, but, but essentially what we see here is, is what's called a theophany. It's a way of God revealing himself to humankind, and, 
And in this culture at this time, people believed that everything was a manifestation of a god. And other, other nations, they were all polytheistic. They believed there was multiple gods. But in Israel, they were supposed to follow one god. But everything that happened was related to a god. So if there was an earthquake, well, god was angry. If there was lightning, it was God taking vengeance on somebody. If there was a fire, that was a manifestation of God. If there was a big wind, that was, that was, that was God, obviously. And, and everything was viewed uh, as a way of, of the God revealing himself to his people. And, and Elijah would have known the stories of how God appeared to Israel by the Red Sea as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He would have known the stories of, of how God revealed himself to Moses at Mount Horeb in a, in a cloud of lightning and thunder. He would have seen with his own eyes God revealing himself to the people of Israel when he came down in a pillar of fire that destroyed the altar just days before. He would have seen all of these different things and known these different stories of how God had revealed himself in big ways, in ways you couldn't deny. But in this moment, I, I think it's really cool that it says there was an earthquake, there was wind, there was a fire, but God was not in those. It was in the stillness. You know, I think many of us, we fall into this trap where we just expect God to reveal himself to us in big ways. And when he doesn't, we feel, oh, he must be distant from us. He must have left us. He must have abandoned us because if God were with me, then I wouldn't be going through this. If God were with me, then I would be hearing his voice. If God were with me, then reading my Bible every morning would always make me feel good. But, but you know, some mornings it does and some mornings it doesn't, just being real. Um, but it's interesting that God is not revealing himself to Elijah in the ways he's done it before. It's not in the big sign that, that you would just see and be like, obviously there's a God. It's not always in, in, the, in the voice that you hear, the audible voice, the silent voice. It's not always in the moment of healing. But God can also speak in the silence. See, sometimes in your life you might not feel like God is with you because you don't see the evidence of it around you. But that doesn't mean that God has left you. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. You might not see the modern day equivalent of the great wind and the earthquake and the fire that proves God is with you, but sometimes God wants to speak to you in that quiet whisper. You might feel distant from God, but he's never far off. See, Psalm 23 puts it this way. Yahweh is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace near the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. 
He opens before me the right path and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so I can bring honor to his name. Even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me for you already have. Your authority and strength is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely for you are near. And you know, this psalm depicts God in a, in a startling way, as a shepherd taking care of his sheep. And if you know anything about sheep, it's that they're basically helpless. Like, you just leave a sheep, they'll probably kill themselves somehow. They need that shepherd to guide them and to take them to water and to provide them with everything they need. And, and God is that shepherd and he says, and the psalmist says in this psalm, even when I go through the darkest valleys, you are with me. And this is a, a literal picture about uh, looking at the deserts of Judah and of Israel where there was these deep canyons. And within the canyons would lurk all kinds of wild beasts that wanted to kill you and bandits that wanted to kill you and, and flash floods that would just come out of nowhere and kill you. And all of these unseen dangers lurking in these dark valleys, and the psalmist is saying, it, yeah, there, there's danger, but God is with me. I don't have to fear the darkness. I don't have to fear the unknown because God is with me. Another translation puts it this way. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's this picture that even when we are alone, and afraid God is still with us, protecting us and preserving us. We don't have to be afraid. You know, we tend to picture loneliness as being distant from somebody. As if we can ever distance ourselves from God. But the reality is that God is always with us. There's nowhere you can go. There's nowhere you can hide. There's nothing you can do that can make him distant from you. He is always with you. In John 16, as, as Jesus is going to the cross, he tells his disciples, the hour is coming indeed. Has, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. All of Jesus' friends, everyone he's been relying on for so long, they are all going to leave as he goes into this dark season of the cross and dying for us. He's going to be abandoned by people, but he says, I'm not alone. Because God is still with me. And Elijah, he feels alone. He feels alone. He goes in search of God. He comes to the mountain of God. And God comes to him in a whisper. And he says, I've never left you. What are you doing here? You don't need to come to this mountain to find me, Elijah, because I'm always with you. What are you doing here? Verse 13, it says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah answered, 
I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And if you think you recognize that verse, it's because Elijah just said it like three verses before. Not deja vu. It, it is literally what he said. This is a speech that he's clearly been rehearsing. It's like, I am alone. And then the Lord said to him, Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram, and you shall anoint Jehu, as son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill, and whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that is not kissed him. And and God is saying to Elijah in this moment, get up and go. Because you don't need to hang out here for me to to be present with you. But he's also saying, guess what, Elijah? You might feel alone, but there are 7,000 out there like you. 7,000 people who are exactly like you that you have not met yet. And most importantly, there's one dude. His name's Elisha. It's going to be really confusing later on. But you're going to find him. He's going to follow you. He's going to serve you. He's going to work with you. He's going to support you. He's going to help you. And he is going to provide for you. And and when you get too old, you're going to pass your ministry on to him. You might feel alone, Elijah, but I've never left you and I've put people in your path who are going to change your life and support you. You might be afraid that this queen is going to kill you, but guess what? She's powerless. If she could have done it, she would have done it already. Because I am with you, Elijah. You might feel like there's nobody around you, but I have people about to reveal to you if you will just obey. So you might feel alone, but the promise we have in Scripture is that you are never alone. God is always with you, and and, and even more importantly, He has put people in your path and in your life who you are supposed to do community with who can support you and help you and and pursue the life God has for you. You are not alone because God is always with you, but you are also not alone because there are people out there who God wants to bring into your life to support you. See, this is one of the major reasons that we have groups launching next week. It's this principle of community. That we don't believe we're supposed to do life alone, but God created us for community. Genesis 2, when God created Adam, he said it is not good for man to be alone, so he brought him a helper, Eve. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one, for if they fall, one will lift his fellow up. But woe to the one who is alone and falls, for no one will be there to help him. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So if you feel alone or abandoned or lost or separated or distant from God and others, well, maybe now is the time that God is saying to you, you don't have to be alone. 
take a risk. Because I'm always with you. I have never left you. But if you're distant from people, maybe you just need to take a risk. See what God can do in your life through others because you don't have to be alone. Elijah, you may be running because your friends are all dead and you're worried that you're next, but but there are people who you've never met who are going to change your life and they're going to support you and they're going to be there for you and help you fulfill the calling I've placed on your life. You don't have to be alone, Elijah. David, you might be running because your, your father-in-law, the king, is trying to murder you. You might feel alone and distance because he has literally pushed you out of his castle. He's pushed you away from your wife. You might feel alone, but there are outcasts out there that I'm going to bring into your life who are going to support you and strengthen you and equip you to do what you need to do and what I've called you to do. Jesus said to the disciples, soon I'm going to leave, but I will not leave you alone, for I will send another to be with you, the Spirit truth. I might not be physically present, but I will still be with you. And guess what, disciples? I'm going to put people in your path who you're going to minister to and minister with. And this movement isn't just going to be 12 people kind of just hanging out at the roadside doing cool things. This is going to grow and flourish and spread until there are literally billions of people who are involved. See, it doesn't matter who left you, who abandoned you, who made you feel insignificant and small. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you might want to hide. God is saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have not abandoned you and I never will. And I'm actually putting people in your path who are going to support you and help you and encourage you and strengthen you and build you up. You don't have to be alone. You have to, but you do have to take a risk and need help. Because while God will never leave you and you're never alone, you were also made for community. And there are people who God wants to bring into your life that will change your life, but you do have to take that risk. You know, sometimes the cure to loneliness is on the other side of obedience. God will never leave you sometimes the people that you need to support you in this season, they're just on the other side of your obedience. If I can get everyone to stand right now as we close, I just want to pray. As we pray, I just want to encourage anyone who who feels alone, whether it's you feel distant from God or you feel distant from others, I just want to encourage you, just pray along with I'm not going to get you to do anything crazy. Just in your head, pray along with me. And then afterwards, this is the part that's going to make you feel a little uncomfortable. Find a group. Join it. Whether it's at this church or somewhere else, I don't care. You are made for community. You are made for community. Father God, I thank you that you promise us that you will never leave us. That there is nowhere we can go where we will not be with you. I thank you that we don't have to come to church each week to meet you because you are always with us. 
Father, I pray that for anybody who feels distant from you, God, that they will see you more clearly than they've ever seen you. Come to them in the whisper. Help them to hear and see what you are doing in their life. Help them to see that no matter what is going on, you are always there. God, for those who feel alone and distant from others, I just pray that you will reveal to us the people that we need to connect with, the community we need to be a part of, that will help support us, build us up, and strengthen us, that we won't have to do this walk of faith alone, but we will be surrounded by people who will help us. God, help us to believe this promise and hold to it. pray this in your name. Amen. Let's sing, I just want you.